So at long last, we come to the end of our journey through the book of Hebrews, 29 weeks through this wonderful book. Hebrews chapter 1 was written that we would know that Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. That Christ is the supreme prophet, priest, king to which all the Old Testament figures and shadows point. And we are therefore not to interpret the New Testament in light of the Old. We are to interpret the Old Testament in light of the New. Hebrews chapter 2 was written that we would know that the message of Christ must not be neglected. Christ came to earth in our flesh and blood likeness that we, that he might die on the cross as the appropriate substitute for flesh and blood sinners like you and me. Hebrews chapter 3 was written that we would know that the great prophet Moses was a faithful servant among God's people, but Christ is the greater prophet. For he is the faithful son who reigns over God's people. The wilderness generation of Israelites hardened their hearts to the message of God's servant Moses. But we, we must not harden our hearts to the message of God's own son. We must repent and entrust ourselves to him. Hebrews chapter 4 was written that we would know that the Sabbath and the promised land of Canaan pointed to the day when all God's people would stop striving after their own righteousness and their own strength and that they would find rest in the completed work of Christ. That day has come and that day is yet to come for Christ has fully secured our right standing with God on the basis of his righteous works and not our own and he is soon to return to consummate the eternal Sabbath rest that we long for. Amen. Hebrews chapter 5 was written that we would know that Christ has been appointed by our Heavenly Father to be our perfect and eternal high priest who pleads our innocence on the merit of his own sacrificial blood. Christ did not need to be cleansed from his own sin. Because even though he was tempted to sin in every way that we are, he remained perfectly obedient to the will of the Father. And because of that, he has become the source of eternal salvation to all who obediently trust him. Hebrews chapter 6 was written that we would know that many in this world will appear as though they are followers of Christ. They will hear God's word preached. They will see God's spirit work and they will even taste a bit of God's goodness for themselves. But after a while, they will be enticed and lured by their sinful desires, returning to the unbelieving world they have always belonged to. This will not be the case for those who cling to Christ, the steadfast anchor of our hope. Christ has entered behind the veil of heaven and our names are written in the scars of his hands. Hebrews chapter 7 was written that we would know that Christ has been made to be our eternal high priest 
but not according to the law of Moses. According to the law of Moses, only a descendant of the tribe of Levi could ever serve as high priest, but Christ is of the order of Melchizedek, not Levi. And this points to the fact that God himself has made the old covenant and its Mosaic regulations obsolete. Hebrews chapter 8 was written that we would know that Christ has mediated a new and superior covenant that has been enacted upon better promises than the old. As God's new covenant people, the burden is not on us to conform ourselves to regulations that were written on stone. Instead, God himself transforms us by his Holy Spirit from the inside out by writing his will upon our hearts. Hebrews chapter 9 was written that we would know that for our atonement, Christ has not taken the inefficient blood of bulls and goats behind the old curtain of the earthly tabernacle. Instead, he has taken his own blood behind the heavenly curtain that the earthly curtain once pointed to. And there, behind that heavenly curtain, Christ has cleansed our consciences forever so that we might be assured that we are forgiven. Hebrews chapter 10 was written that we would know that Christ's atoning blood is so powerful that it washes from us even the seemingly unwashable stains of our worst offenses. When we come to God in prayer and in worship, he no longer sees the sexual immorality that once disfigured us. He no longer sees our former deceit or vanity, or self-worship, and so on. Instead, he sees sons and daughters who have been made perfect by his son and who are being made perfect by his spirit. Hebrews chapter 11 was written that we would know that all of this good news of the new covenant is ours by faith. When we simply believe that God is who he says he is, and when we entrust ourselves to the finished work of the resurrected Christ, we receive all the redemptive promises of God. They all find their yes in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 was written that we would know that the struggle, the struggle of living our lives in this sin-fractured world, it's real. You and I are going to face various degrees of affliction and persecution. You and I are going to face sickness and sorrow and discomfort and death. And God doesn't expect us to enjoy those things any more than his son enjoyed the shame of the cross he bore. But God does want us, you and I, believer, to hold tightly to this mysterious truth that somehow, in a way that we can't fully comprehend, in a way that is above our pay grade, mysteriously, God is active himself, active in every trial we face. Our good heavenly Father, he holds supervising authority even over the undesired trials we face because from those undesired trials, 
he has promised to bring about a redemptive beauty that we will have to see to believe. Hebrews chapter 13 was written that we would know that we are to worship our worthy God in this way, by sacrificially loving one another, as hard as that is to do at times, by practicing hospitality, by hurting with those who hurt, by upholding the sanctity of marriage, by rooting our satisfaction in him over and above all earthly possessions, by watching and following godly leaders, by adhering to sound doctrine, doctrine matters, by bearing the reproach of Christ, and that reproach is coming in increasing measure in our cultural moment, and by serving and being generous toward those around us. This is what it looks like for new covenant Christians to worship God on the new covenant terms. And he has given to us new and empowered hearts to do this. We can do this. We can worship him in the way that he demands and deserves. So that, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, is a bird's eye view of the book of Hebrews. And now I'd invite you to follow along as I read the final verses of this magnificent letter. Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 25. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation for I have written to you briefly. <laughs> you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Teach us your word. Submit us to your word that with joy in our hearts we might be conformed to your Son, who is our upward call of the prize. He is this for us. Yes and amen, in Jesus' name, amen. I think it's funny that the writer of this, he, uh, this letter, he, he wraps up this, this letter with this beautiful benediction this closing prayer to God on behalf of his readers. And then you can tell he's a pastor because like most pastors, after he makes his final remarks, a few more thoughts come to his mind that he just needs to, right? Well, while I have you here, you know, I need to say this, right? 
In verses 20 through 25, he, he urges the recipients of this letter, his, his brothers and sisters in Christ, he urges them to bear with and to pay attention and to fully embrace the things that he has just briefly written to them. Have you ever seen a captivating movie or have you ever read an enthralling novel, right? From, from cover to cover, this book, this letter, it only takes an hour to read and I bet you for the original recipients and even for us when we read it cover to cover, it, it's enthralling. And time flies when you're, when you're captivated by this, this work of this new covenant that this supreme Christ has ratified. And verses 20, in verse 23, we see the mention of Timothy. And, and, and we have every reason to believe that that's the Timothy that we, that we know from the other epistles. And he apparently had been imprisoned, and, and now he's been released. And these Jewish Christians, to whom the, the author of the letter is writing, were they're expecting a visit from Timothy along with the author of this letter who tells them, of course, greet one another, greet your leaders, greet, your, greet the saints, greet one another in the, with the peace of Christ. And then he says a friendly hello. And, and this is the reason why I think that, that these Jewish Christians lived in the area of Rome in Italy because with the writer, well, there are people from Italy that these people know. And they, what, your friends from Italy, they say hi to you, Right? Grace be with you all, he closes. Okay, for the short remainder of our time, let's consider four soul-stirring takeaways from the benediction that we see in verses 21 through 22. I'll repeat these as we go, but if you're a note taker, number one, by faith in Christ, we are at peace with God and with each other. Let's just, I'm not gonna read all four of them. I'll give them you as we go. Number one, by faith in Christ, we are at peace with God and with each other. Right here, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, stop right there. If you are a believer and follower of Christ, let me address you directly. You have not always been at peace with God. You were once an enemy at war with God, rebelling against his authority over your life by living as if you were in charge. And that could have looked like you're running headlong into self-pleasure. It could have also looked like you're running headlong into self-righteousness, earning and meriting for yourself the goodness that you, that you desire. But then, you believer, for you, Christ came for you. Christ came and was nailed to the cross to serve the punishment for all your sins, every sin. And then he was raised to life. And then he ascended behind the heavenly curtain where he has, with his own blood, erased your name from the book of God's judgment, never to return again. There is no condemnation for you. And this is no little thing. You've not always been at peace with God, but now in Christ, you are at complete peace with God. You can now go before God anytime you like. You can now ask him for strength, for joy, for wisdom, for courage, for help in time of need, 
and he will give it to you. When tribulation comes, famine, persecution, when family or friends forsake you, there is nothing for you to fear, for you are at peace with the one to whom the world will answer. The world will give an answer to him, and you're at peace with him. You are at peace with God, and you are at peace with everyone else who bears the name of his son by faith. By faith in Christ, we are at peace with God and with each other. Point number one. Point number two. By faith in Christ, we will be guided and guarded until his return. By faith in Christ, we will be guided and guarded until his return. Verse 22b, he is the great shepherd of his sheep. So in the same way that a shepherd guides and guards a flock, so Christ will guide you in this life and he will guard you for the next. You and me, of course, but I'm speaking to you, believer, you, like a sheep, are prone to losing your way. Are you not? You know yourself better than I do, but I know myself. You are prone to following your appetite, following after distractions, following after voices of those who are not your true shepherd, and they cannot, nor will they be able to bring you home. They won't. But Christ says to you in John chapter 10, I am your good shepherd. I have laid my life down for you. A hired hand, this foreign voice, that's not your shepherd. When he sees a wolf coming, you watch. He's going to flee and you're going to be left to the scatter. But I know my own and my own know me. So listen to my voice. John 6, 39 through 40. This is the will of my father, O sheep, that I should lose none of those whom he has given me. But I will raise them up at the last day. This is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes him should have eternal life. And I will raise you up at the last day. Believer, you may not feel secure right now. In the midst of the fog, in the midst of the affliction you are facing, you may not see the hand of your shepherd, but listen for his voice and trust his promise. He will bring you home. By faith in Christ, we will be guided and guarded until his return. Point number two. Point number three. By faith in Christ, we are the beneficiaries of an eternal covenant. Sweet mercy. 22C. By the blood of of the eternal covenant. 
right there is a perfect summary of the entire book of Hebrews, is it not? Christ did not spill his blood on the cross to extend the life of the old covenant or to enable our observance of it. Nor did Christ spill his blood on the cross just to prepare us for another future covenant. No. Christ spilled his blood to ratify one final and forever covenant. And it is this. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not a result of any of your good works. This is not a result of however many Bible verses you have memorized. This is not a result of your tithes and offerings or your raising of hands during worship. This is not a result of anything that you have done because if it were, you would have this much reason to boast. You've been saved by grace through faith and this is God's gift to you. So pick it up, take it, pick up your mat and go and sin no more already. By grace, you've been saved. By faith, we are the beneficiaries of this eternal covenant. Point number three. Point number four. By faith in Christ, we will be granted everything we need to live lives that are pleasing to him, to the glory of his name forever. Once again, the sandlot creeps in forever, right? <laughs> now may the God of peace who brought again the, from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, 21, may he equip you with everything that is good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you are a believer and follower of Christ, he has not saved you only to leave you to yourself to sort everything else out. Isn't that good news? No, he has filled you with his spirit. He has given you his word. He has placed you within this fellowship of saints and he has bestowed to you gifts to help build up this fellowship of saints. Some of the Jewish Christians to whom this letter was first written, they likely wondered if they'd drifted too far back into Judaism, back into the old covenant. Have we gone too far to be restored to the new covenant promises in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And maybe you're wondering something similar for yourself. Now, you probably haven't been tempted to return to the old covenant, but maybe, maybe you 
me too, but maybe you, have steadily drifted into lukewarmness, half-heartedness, distracted apathy. Maybe the good news has become old news. Christ is beckoning you right now. Come to me. Come to me. You're not too far gone. After all, I'm the steady anchor who holds you fast. Come back to me. He will personally give you everything you need to do this, to do his will. And make no bones about it, he'll get glory from it. Christ is going to be glorified by bringing you back from your drift and me too. For it is not you, but Christ in you who wills and works for his own good pleasure. <laughs> That's a mystery. And this promise applies to you and me as individual believers, but it also applies to us as a church of believers. Let me start with the individual believers because I'm, I'm going to go on to something else here for just a moment. If you are here and you have not confessed with your mouth, believed with your heart that God is who he says he is, and then repentantly entrust your, yourself to the saving mercies of Christ crucified and resurrected, you aren't guaranteed 15 minutes from now. And I would plead with you, do that now, right where you're seated. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and then come tell Pastor Seth or myself because it's time to probably be baptized. This promise applies to us that Christ is willing and working in us for his good pleasure. It also applies to us as a church of believers. Here's where I'll go with this for a second. So this week my family and I received some bad news. According to my doctors, after a closer look at my bone marrow biopsy, my cancer is spreading and it is much more aggressive than they thought. In three weeks, I have to start two months of chemotherapy and after that, I'll likely need a bone marrow transplant. Now, according to my doctors, this is going to take me out of commission for nine months. Like, like I, I'm going to be out of commission for nine months. On a personal level, Christ is going to equip me with everything good that I may do his will on this path that he is calling me to and he will be glorified in it. On a family level, Christ is going to equip the Lawsons with everything good that we may do his will on this path that he is calling us to and he will be glorified in it. And on a church level, Christ is going to equip Oaks Church 
with everything good that we may do his will on this path that he is calling us to and he will be glorified in it. Isaiah 61.3, they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Christ's own spirit will empower the saints to rise up. Christ's word will continue to be preached. His name will continue to be praised. And Christ will continue to build his church because that's what he's in the business of doing already. By faith in Christ, we're at peace with God and one another. By faith in Christ, we will be guided and guarded until Christ's return. By faith in Christ, we are the beneficiaries of not some sort of temporary but eternal covenant. By grace, we are to be saved through faith. By faith in Christ, we will be granted everything we need to live lives that are pleasing to him, to the glory of his name forever. Do you believe this? So do I. Next Sunday night, 6.30, we're going to have an impromptu family members meeting to discuss bird's eye view, process going forward. If you are not a member here, I know that some of you are desiring that. If you are not a member here, information will come to you, but this is where we have to start this. So please join us next Sunday evening, 6.30, right here, and we'll talk about next steps. We'll talk about what the Lord seems to be doing in our midst. We'll talk about the exciting future that we have. We'll talk about ways in which uh, he is on the move. And it will be, I believe, edifying to our hearts. Because greater is he who is in us. Amen. Let's pray. And then we'll continue to worship. Father in heaven how we have grown to love the book of Hebrews. Boy, is it inspired. We thank you, Lord, for the writer of this book and you uh, filled with your spirit and the instruction that we have gleaned from it. We thank you, Lord, for the new and superior and everlasting covenant. We thank you for the supremacy of that covenant maker, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Remind us with joy in our hearts that come death, come life, come whatever may, Christ is ours, and when we have Christ, we have it all. All of your promises find their yes in Christ. And so, for those who are here who do not know if or whether they are in Christ, I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would strike while the iron might be hot, and that you would lead them to confess with their mouth what they are believing in their heart, that Christ Jesus, you are the Son of God, risen having been crucified to pay for our sin, nailing our debt to the cross of judgment, raising to life, leaving our condemnation in the tomb, Lord, we put our trust in you unto glory. We'd ask God that you would stir our hearts in encouragement as we sing, and may it be true of us, not just with our lips, but with our hearts that we sing, your will be done in all things, for it's good. It's good. You're worthy, you are wonderful, 
And it's our joy to sing your praises in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.